Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. You know, Psalm 113 says it this way. It says, bless the Lord, bless the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, the name of the Lord is to be praised. That verse literally said there's never a moment where we shouldn't praise God. When the sun rises, he deserves our praise. When the sun sets, he deserves our praise. Can we just do it in this room for two seconds? Can we just lift up a praise to a God that's been good and been kind and merciful and gracious? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, I'm honored to be gathered with the people of God today. It is my responsibility to proclaim the word of God. We, we worship Jesus in a few ways here. We do so through singing. Shout out to the worship team and the band. It's amazing, man. Amazing. We also do so through the ability to be able to gather with God's people. We do communion. Those are ways that we worship the Lord. But one of the the, the most climactic ways we worship Jesus is through the preaching of the word. That's why you're here today is through, through to, to hear the preaching of God's word. Uh, so do me a favor, grab your Bibles and go to Acts chapter two. Nathaniel, you gonna let me preach today, NJ? Acts chapter two is where we're gonna hang out today. Hey, shout out to the small groups, man. I'm just very encouraged by our small groups. And man, if you are not a part of a small group, it is where it is happening. It is, it is the lifeline of our, um, of our, this thing we call community. You know, we were never saved to be isolated from the body, but we are supposed to be baptized into a body. And one of the ways that we flesh that out is actually through the preaching of the word of God. I mean, through community. I'm, y'all just messed me up all that. Blah, blah, just, just got me. It's through small groups. And so um, I just want to just say thank you from the bottom of my heart to all, those of you who do hosting, those of you who actually are small group leaders. Uh, I know it takes a lot to invite people into your home. I think it's eight weeks straight, something like that, to invite people into your home. Uh, That takes a lot. But as you'll see today, as we're in the text, in Acts chapter 42, it's a very biblical model. So I just want to thank God for all of our our leaders. I was on social media this week, just a little bit, not too much, but um, I saw, you know, some of the small group takeovers. I saw, I saw Caleb and Adriani. Uh, I saw their, their small group and um, Andrea. I saw her small group. And man, just to see Ashley, Dion, and Aaliyah up here, just inviting the men to come on in the small group. Yeah. Uh, it's so good to see. And don't take for granted that you have the ability to go into a safe space to process and to pray and to be encouraged. And when you have needs, to have needs met into a small group. So I'm, I'm grateful for all of our small group, uh, all of our small group leaders. Bible study is happening this Wednesday. This Wednesday is our fourth Wednesday night prayer and Bible study. We highlight prayer and Bible study because both are important. And so our Bible study honestly should, um, should incorporate prayer. So we do a half an hour of praying. That is not a filler moment. This is why I was joking with Gabe when Gabe said seven-ish. No, it's seven on the dot. And the reason it's seven on the dot, in fact, I would say get here earlier, is because we want you to be prepared to pray for a half an hour. Uh, individual prayers is important, and you should pray alone. But there is something about corporate prayer. Something about when we get together and we can just shout out, thank you, Jesus. And so I ask you to come in here and audibly open up your mouth and let's pray together. We'll see that in the text as well. 
Um, in terms of our topic for this week, I'm excited to talk about God's election versus man's free will. Uh, this topic honestly was really burdened in my heart last week when we had our covenant community class. And we spent probably a good 30 minutes on uh, talking about this idea of man's free will versus God's predestination. What, what does that mean that God elects us? What does that mean that we are the elect of God? And so how does that rub against my free will? Am I a robot? Like, do, do I have free will? Do I make decisions? Do I make decisions in terms of my salvations? Did, did God choose the sweater I put on this morning or did I choose the sweater I put on this morning? We'll talk about those things and we'll root it all deeply in the word of God. Uh, honestly, it's a very complex topic. It is not an easy topic, but I, I believe that there is ways to talk about complex doctrine in a very simple way. And so we'll do that this week as we, um, as we gather together for our fourth Wednesday night prayer and Bible study. All right, let's get to it, y'all. Acts chapter 2, um, I've had a ton of time uh, to spend, honestly, in this text. I was in a part of, part of the world earlier this week where there was no Wi-Fi. Uh, it was very, very bad reception, so I didn't even, I didn't even have commentaries uh, to read here. I just spent time in Acts chapter 2, and it was something so healthy about moving out and drowning out the other voices and really honing in on what the Lord is saying. So I got a lot to do. So let's get to it. Acts chapter two. Y'all there? Can y'all just say amen? amen? All right. Verse 41 says, so those who received the word were baptized and were added that day about 3000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers and all came upon every soul and wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Can I just say that verse again and do me a favor, highlight it, underline it. It's important. This is probably the verse I spent the most time on. Verse 43 says, and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad hearts, glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I want to preach today in our We Are Family series. I want to preach today from the topic entitled All Things in Common. Uh, let's look to the Lord before we, before we dig in. Uh, Father, we are... We are anticipating you, you speaking to us today. I got up this morning, Lord. I, I, think I, I think I'm clear that you are speaking to us corporately as a body. But you are also speaking to us individually. And so, Lord, I pray that we as a church would move to your marching orders. But I pray also for us as individuals that we would grow because of texts like this. Lord, I pray for the one that doesn't know the Lord in here. We, we thank you that they, that they came to church today. That's, that's not easy. So, Lord, we, we thank you that you've drawn them here. I guarantee you are pursuing somebody today. And so, Father, I pray that the gospel would accomplish exactly what it said it does. Save, set free, and deliver. So, Father, would you do that today for your glory and for your honor. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All things in common. I can't really see clearly in the room, but just by a quick show of hands, because I kind of want to do a quick litmus test to see who's in the room. By a show of hands, who in college, when you were in college, you, um, you pledged a sorority or a fraternity 
Omega Sci-Fi, whatever it is, you can keep your hand up. I just want to see those. Say, Thank you for turning the lights up. Y'all said Omega Sci-Fi. No, I ain't doing all that. You know, uh, Kappa, Alpha, whatever it is, Delta, Phi, Beta, Sigma, whatever it is that you, 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 uh, you pledge. If you pledge, can I just see those hands one more time? Nice and high. Okay. There's a few people in the room. All right. Let me do it this way. Who in the room played sports? Not just in college, but maybe in high school, recreational basketball, anybody football, hockey, soccer. Is chess considered a sport? Chess? Chess club? It is a sport? Okay. There it is. All right. That, that, that was most of the room. Uh, maybe this is more toward the, the band and the worship team and those of you who sing. Who, whoever sang in a choir before? Maybe you were part of a band. What? Chris, where you at, Chris? You better look around the room. I see you back there, Chris. Most of the room raised their hand as being part of a choir. How about like maybe Facebook? Maybe our older saints. You, you're part of a Facebook group. Oh, older saints. <laughs> I'm a part of a few Facebook group, right? What about the younger ones? What about, you know, uh, maybe you're a part of like a gaming group, you know, that consistently streams together or, you know, maybe it's an anime club. Anybody in the room? Okay, a few of us, okay. <laughs> we may or may not have identified this uh, about ourselves. Man, y'all are killing it with the lights on and off. Um, you know, most of the room raised their hand at some point. At some point, may maybe, you didn't, maybe you weren't a part of a, a club or a sorority or fraternity or anything like that, you know, but most of the room raised their hand. And I would argue that the reason that most of you raised your hand is because deep inside, all of us like the feeling of feeling a part of something. All of us, all of us like that feeling of belonging. We like that idea of, man, I got a crew. I, I got a squad. I got a group of like-minded people, people that we have a common goal. We have a common conviction. We have a common drive. And most of us in this room, those are the reasons that we are raising our hand as being a part. We just weren't on the team because we were nice at basketball, but it created a team camaraderie in us. I would argue that that was part of the early church's ethos. Acts chapter two is the beginning of the birthing of the church. And one of the things I love about the birthing of the church is that it provided a space for people who typically were ostracized, marginalized, misplaced. Culture would have never accepted them, but then they can come in to the church, no matter their background, their color, their creed, their, their, their socioeconomic makeup, it didn't matter. If you have professed faith in the blood of Jesus Christ, you are accepted in the family and it gave misfits a place to live and a place to thrive and a place that you actually had identity. And those of you who haven't raised your hand, I wonder if you ever struggle with those feelings of just feeling out of place. And I, I never really fit in anywhere. The reason I didn't join anything is because I, you know, I didn't know what I was good at or I didn't, I really didn't have that common drive. But if you've trusted in Jesus, you got that in this room because that's what the church is supposed to be. If you'll notice in verse 41, I read that 3000 souls were just added to the church. So in context purposes, this is when the upper room, uh, they're in the upper room in Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit falls. And they start speaking in tongues. They go outside speaking in tongues. Everybody like, man, they, they drunk. And what does is, what is Peter say? They're not drunk as you suppose. And I love this because, you know, he says it's not even three o'clock. In other words, if, he, if it's eight o'clock, maybe, but it ain't even three o'clock. And so, uh, no, they're not drunk as you suppose. And then he opens up the word and preaches. And when he preaches, the Bible says that the people of God respond to an impactful sermon about Jesus Christ. And when they respond, 
3,000 souls get added to the church. And let me just pause here for a second and say, man, God bless the people who kept numeric record. Like, seriously, somebody had to sit there and go, one, two, three. Like, somebody actually had to count. And this is why, you know, I laugh at, you know, when people are like, man, I ain't got to really sign no covenant to be a part of the church. Well, they knew who was a part of the church somehow because they kept numerical record. So the Bible says that 3,000 people are added to the church. What we get in the rest of uh, the chapter, verse 42 to 47, lets us in on what those 3,000 did to be a part of the family of God. As we were talking about we are family, I think it's important for us not just to be family, but be healthy family. Somebody say healthy family. Healthy family. Listen, I'm, I'm not interested in being part of toxic culture and a toxic family. Some of us have that at home. We want to be a part of a healthy community. And I think when I read this passage, there's just some, there's some stuff we can extract from these verses that help us with health. Okay, let me, let me give it to you this way. There are four ways that we can ensure that we're a healthy family. Number one, and this is all in the text. The Bible says that the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The second thing they did is they devoted themselves to the fellowship. The third thing they did was devote themselves to the breaking of bread. And the fourth thing they did was devoted themselves to the prayers. That's just verse 42. Now, verse 43 to 47 actually explains how those four things, the same four things were fleshed out. That's all we get in our passage today. This is probably a familiar passage to you if you've been a part of Epiphany for any amount of time, because I sprinkle this in every now and then to a few sermons. But let's consider the first one. Look at what it says here in verse 41. So those who received the word, don't miss that, were baptized. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves, watch this, first to the apostles' teaching. I love the fact that the church understood, the early church, the early family of God understood if we're going to be a healthy family, we have to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, not just our personal devotion and personal time alone with the Lord. Now, no, 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 I don't want to come and get your quiet time. You should have time with the Lord by yourself. Do not run from God. He wants to spend time with you, but do not replace that with the teaching of the word of God. And what I love about the early church is what brought them into the church is actually what sustained them. What do I mean by that? Remember I said that they were in the upper room and the Holy Spirit fell and all these people started to, to, to speak in tongues. Well, the 3,000 were outside. 120 was up in the upper room. 3,000 were sitting outside, wasn't saved yet. You know when they got saved? When Peter said, let me open up the word and start to teach y'all. And so what Peter does is he pulls on Joel chapter 2. He pulls on Psalm 16. He pulls on Psalm 110. And he begins to explain to them the word of God. And the word was so impactful that the Bible says in verse 37, they were cut to their hearts. After they get cut to their hearts, the Bible says, they say, well, what shall we do? He says, repent. And they repent. And then the next verse says, 3,000 souls get added to the church. They were added to the church because of the preaching of the gospel. But they sustained themselves in the church by submitting themselves to the apostles' teaching. In other words, what brought, they said what brought us in was good. What sustains us is good. I got to talk to a generation that honestly, you, you think that you can spiritually grow isolated from being taught the word. Because we got YouTube and we got Facebook and we think we can, you think you can spiritually grow off a sound bite in a reel? The devil is a liar. You need to be preached to. You need to be taught the word of God. And this is why you gathered in this room today. 
You didn't gather here because the worship team is nice, although they are. You really gathered here because the most climactic moment of us gathering is the word. This is why you never come in here on a Sunday. Never. You'll never come in here and we not preach. We're going to teach the word because the Bible says that when 3,000 souls were added to the church, they then devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. Healthy churches are only as healthy as the pulpit preaches the gospel. Can you write that down somewhere? Healthy churches are only as healthy as the pulpit that preaches the gospel. And I have to say this because we have a lot of gospelless pulpits. We have a lot of pulpits that are filled with opinion and health and wealth and, and inspirational teaching. And yes, we need inspiration. And yes, sometimes we need to talk about finances and you need to know that, you know, your felt needs, it's going to get better. Sometimes we need that encouragement. But at the root of the thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if you ever come in this room, did you have my permission today? If you ever come in this room on a Sunday morning and we're preaching and you don't hear about Jesus, don't come back. Because it ain't a healthy place if we're just talking about our felt needs. You can go down the street. We talk about clubs. Go to a Rotary Club to talk about felt needs. But when you come to the pillar ground in truth, you better open up the word and talk about Jesus Christ. The, the, the disciples, the apostles, all that's all they did was talk about Jesus. You'd be hard pressed to find Andrew talking about something else. Paul didn't talk about nothing else. Peter didn't talk about nothing else. Matthias and Bartholomew didn't talk. Thaddeus didn't talk about anything but Jesus. And so what we need is not just submitting ourselves to the apostles teaching, but submitting ourselves to what they taught, which was the gospel of Christ. That's apostolic teaching. We, we, we've confused the apostolic teaching. Apostolic teaching is preaching what the apostles taught. What did they teach? Jesus Christ and him crucified. Can I go deeper here? You will not spiritually grow if you are not being taught the word. I, I don't care how deep you are in your word by yourself. If you are not submitting yourself to teaching of the word, you will not spiritually grow. I, I have a feeling I have to put some, some Bible here. First Peter chapter two, verse two says this, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk. And then it says, so that by it you may grow up. You only are able to grow up when you've submitted yourself to being taught the word. And so that means there are some times when you're being taught, you'll walk out and say, God, you are so good. Amen. And you'll walk out sometimes and you'll be offended and you'll say, ouch. And we need both. It's good. It's good balanced teaching. Preaching helps your spiritual growth as an individual. But I would argue that pre preaching helps our spiritual growth collectively as a church and this is why you'll never come in here and not hear the gospel, because I understand that a gospel is place is a spiritual is filled with spiritual infants. And unfortunately, we don't just have infants in the pews, but the pulpit has become a place of infancy. And if I can pass through the room, that's that's listen, I have no gimmicks. I have no tricks. I, I, I really don't. All I have is Christ. I'm a one trick pony. You actually get the gospel every week. I just come from different texts. It's the same message every single week. And that's what we need. Why? Because midweek, we are prone to forget it. Am I talking? I'm, there are still moments. This is why a few weeks ago when I was preaching about, man, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Y'all remember that? And I said, we're not saved by works. The reason I have to continuously remind myself of that is because there are moments I go through the week. And right about Wednesday, I start to feel myself. Uh, am I talking to myself? I, I know that's somebody in the room. And this is why we have to constantly submit ourselves to the apostles teaching, not just devotion. 
but you need a healthy balance of both. I still submit myself to the teaching of the word of God. So first, I'm going to move on because I ran out of time in the first service and I'm not going to do that this time. The first thing that made them healthy that we need to make sure we are fully submitted to is what verse 42 says. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. Secondly, the Bible says they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Now, when we read this word fellowship in the English, we actually it does it a disservice. This is why it's important. Those of you who really, really, really want to learn the word of God, you it's important that you learn Greek and Hebrew at some, on some level. The, the reason is, and I'm not trying to be, I, I think it's just good Bible uh, understanding is to understand the original language. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. A little Koine Greek was in the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, you got the Greek. And when I understand this word fellowship in the Greek, it reads nothing like the English. Because fellowship in the English might mean, man, let's just get together and have some small group and have that bubbly feel. You know that feeling when small group was good? You know, I learned some things, I talked and I shared and I walk away. That's not what, the, that's not what Luke is talking about in Acts chapter 2. What he is talking about is fellowship and the word he uses is koinia. Somebody say koinia. Koinia literally means joint participation. The, the, the root of koinia means commonality. In other words, they did not approach the community only thinking of their needs. When they entered into fellowship, it was, I'm thinking about my needs, but I'm also thinking about your needs as well. And unfortunately, my generation, I ain't gonna beat up nobody else's generation, but my generation, we've come to the point of fellowship and we don't think koinia, joint participation, we think Christian consumerism. And so we've subscribed to this thing where we come into the church and be like, what does the church have for me? Does, does the church have childcare? What does the church do for prison ministry? What does the church do for singles? What does the church do for married ministry? And all of those things are well and good. And yes, we need all of those things. But have you ever asked yourself, how can I contribute to make sure those things are happening for others? Joint participation. Because that's the only way that the early church would have survived is if they all thought about others, not just themselves. Now, let me be clear. Yes, the church should help you because you have needs as well. Yes, the church should help the community. And yeah, I, I get that. But don't think that the church only should help you. You remember John F. Kennedy in his inaugural address? He said, ask not what the country can do for you. Ask what you can do for the country. That's what we need in the church. We, we, need to, we need to say, okay, yeah, I got some needs and I want those needs met. And yet some of it is spiritual, some of it is physical. And I get that the church should be there for you. But as, on some level, you should also be there for the church. And let me be honest, man. If I could just, you know, I told y'all last week, we, we, we are so, we can, we can present the church really well on a Sunday morning. Got a full team today. Before we had a, we had a huddle before y'all got here, before the first service, all of our Brooklyn's finest, you know, we got in the room and, you know, we sing happy birthday to each other. We encourage each other. But what I think you don't know is that we actually need more help. Worship team needs more help. Come on, all y'all raise your hand in the choir. That was, I said that for a reason. I, that's what Chris, Chris, Chris back there like this, taking notes. Our tech team, see, it's real easy. Those of you who are online right now, it's real easy to see the stream and be like, oh, man, that's street, that's seamless. No, but there's actually people that keep it running. 
our tech team, our sound team, our welcome team, our children's ministry. This is joint participation. When you only slip in and say, what does the church have for me? We cannot fulfill Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the koinia. They, they devoted themselves to being a family that also put their hand to the plow. It's, it's a lot of work to keep these lights on. It's a lot of work to get downstairs. And this ain't me begging. I'm actually trying to encourage you to fulfill what the early church did. They would have never came to the gathering and say, well, what does the gathering have for me? Let, let me also say this, that the Holy Spirit actually enters into koinia with us. Now, here's the thing about this word koinia. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, it says the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the koinia, same word, of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So there's a joint participation that the Holy Spirit sees that, 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 that we, need, uh, we need help and he supplies, he serves you. Living in you right now serves you. Now what's dope is this is the first time that this word koinia is used in all of the New Testament. Now this isn't the, this isn't the first letter God, this is messing me up. This isn't the first letter that Luke wrote. Luke is the writer of Acts. But do you know he has a whole gospel, 24 chapters, and he never uses this word. Mark doesn't use it. Matthew doesn't use it. John doesn't use it. The first time it's used in the New Testament is in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It is almost to suggest that this level of koinia can only happen once the Holy Ghost has fell. Because Acts chapter 2, the Holy Ghost falls. He's like, oh, now we're ready for koinia. Before we just had fellowship and we could, we could be consumeristic. But when the Holy Spirit lives in you, there's no way I can come to the body and just think about me. I now have to enter into koinia. And the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to get our needs met while we are also meeting the needs of somebody else. I'm going to move on. Uh, the, the first thing that we see that makes them a healthy church that I think makes, would make us a healthy church is consistent submission to the apostles' teaching. That ain't me. I ain't apostle. That's here. The teaching of the word of God. The second thing that makes us healthy is to enter into a consistent fellowship, but not just that bubbly feeling, actual joint participation. The third thing that we see that makes the early church healthy is the breaking of bread. Now, the, first, now the second one was a little deep, right? We went all Greek, but this one is actually very, very practical. When I first read the breaking of bread in Acts chapter uh, 2, verse 42, I immediately thought about the Lord's table. I immediately thought about communion, but that's not in the context. It, you don't see them taking communion in Acts chapter 2. So Acts, when he says the breaking of bread, it has nothing to do with the body and the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Do you know it's simple? It's just eating together. In fact, he fleshes it out in verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple, this same chapter, uh, together and breaking bread in their homes. So in other words, this simply means one of the most spiritual and deepest things that you can do this week is actually grab a cup of coffee with somebody else. Grab a meal with somebody else. And Elijah, let me just say any verse that condones eating as spiritual growth, count me in. Yeah, yes and amen to it. Like, I'll take it, Lord. Thank you for dropping this one in here. Bible says that day by day, they broke bread together. This is why a part of our small groups revolves around food. It ain't because we hungry, although we are. It is, it is because it's, it's, a, it's a part of what Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says, the fellowship and the breaking of bread. Here's why when, when they do the discipleship uh, a, a training uh, on the 6th of November, they're going to have food. 
Y'all, I, man, I saw y'all on social media where y'all said Gabe is the, is the, he knows how to order food better than anybody else. I was cracking up. Because Gabe has fulfilled Acts chapter 2, <laughs> verse 42. It is so important that you simply get time. And this is why, you know, I'm so encouraged when I look online and I see some of y'all just having a meal together. I'm so, I'm so encouraged when I walk in the street and I see some of y'all actually like having lunch together and just like getting it in real quick. We think that fellowship only happens when we do it organized. But sometimes it just, it's a text message away. Just gotta text your boy and be like, man, let's get up, man. I think there's some things I wanna talk about, some things you may wanna share. Let's get together. That is what it means to break bread. This is what the family of God did in the early church. They broke bread together, gluten-free, don't get offended if I pull out some, you know, some, some ribs and you don't. But koinia means that we are committing toward breaking bread together, fellowship with one another. I'm going to move on from this point. But um, when we were in Philly, our family, uh, Ty and I, we were part of Epiphany Fellowship led by Dr. Eric Mason down in Philly. And um, they, they were, we were in a discipleship relationship with a with a group that we were discipling. And the husband was a white guy and the, the wife was a Korean, uh, a Korean woman. And she got in our kitchen and taught us how to make bok choy. I didn't even know what bok choy was. She got in there, she did her thing. And when I tell you, we gained so much relationship and discipleship happened because the best discipleship happens over a table. When I look at the scriptures, like, you know how many times they sit and were just eating and Jesus was talking and discipling? That's good fellowship. So the Bible says that they devoted themselves. Y'all still with me? To the apostles teaching. Somebody say the apostles teaching. They devoted themselves to the koinia. Somebody say koinia. That's joint participation. That's commonality. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. That's just simple eating meals together. And watch this final thing they devoted themselves to. The prayers. Did you read that? They constantly got together to pray. This is, why I push it. this is why I'm pushing you for Wednesday. Not because prayer is a filler moment for you to finally get here and then we'll start Bible study. No, it's because the early church devoted themselves to the prayers. Notice that it's plural. It doesn't say the prayer. But prayers with an S. That means they constantly were praying because the early church understood that if I'm going to be a maturing Christian, I have to be dependent on the Lord. And that is all prayer is. Write this down. Prayer is living in a constant state of God neediness. Is there anybody that's needy that you just need the Lord every day, every moment, every second? Well, prayer helps you fulfill that because prayerlessness really says, God, I got it. I'm good. I apply for that job, but I don't need you. I'm trying to overcome this struggle, but I don't really need you for that. No, God, I need you every step of the way. I need you week by week and day by day and moment by moment and second by second. And so therefore, I got to walk through life constantly submitting myself to the prayers. And this is what we should do. This is why, man, you know, I really think going into 2023, not, not that we shouldn't do it ending off the year, but going into 2023, I think our model as a church needs to be submission to prayers. Seriously, because I think, you know, we've got so comfortable with the church thing. You know, we, we do Jesus and we, you know, we move on. But what does it look like to live in a constant state of God needing this? How do I do that? By submitting myself to the prayers. So the first thing they submitted themselves to was the apostles teaching. Second was the fellowship. Third was the breaking of bread, simply eating a meal. And then fourth, the prayers. Now, here's what messed me up. 
I was in Montana, don't ask questions. Uh, <laughs> no Wi-Fi, sitting out with no, no lights, no, not even streets, it was like road, like dirt road. I'm sitting out in Montana, I was there for a reason, but um, I was stuck at verse 43. And I'll show you why. Watch the structure of the text. Verse 43 says, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Don't miss the structure of the text. The church is in a state of wonder and enamorment, but it is not because wonders and signs are being done. Don't miss it. If the text read in verse 43, many signs and many wonders are being done, and then all came on the church, I would understand it. But it doesn't read that way. It says all came on the church and then signs and wonders happened. In other words, don't, don't get lost here. They were not enamored with the signs and wonders. The lame are still lame. That the blind are still blind. That there's no miracles that happen in Acts chapter 2 besides the miracle of the gospel saving somebody's life. So what caused the wonder in the church was not the gimmicks and the circus and candy, but what caused the miracle in the church was that Jesus was preached. That, that's it. The only thing that you see happening in the preceding verses, besides all happened, once all happened, look up. The only thing you see is that Peter was preaching Jesus. That's it. And the preaching of Jesus is what caused them to have so much joy and enamorment with Jesus. It, is enamorment a word? It feels right. It feels right. So I'm just go with it. Enamored. But in the context of the sentence I said, isn't no, I'm good. <laughs> the only thing I see happening, honestly, is that the gospel is preached. And the reason this is important, because so many of us, we've come from church cultures where we're only moved when we have goosebumps in service. We're, we're, we're only moved when the charisma comes out. And I'm not against it. But we're only moved when prophecy happens, signs and wonders. When we see miracles happen, we see you know, people being slain in the spirit and we see hands laid on and all of that is well and good. But that ain't where my joy lies. My joy lies in the gospel of Christ and Christ alone. And that's what they have in the early church. If you, if you do a beeline back to the last thought, it was Peter preaching. What is he preaching? He's preaching about Jesus and Jesus alone. Healthy churches do not lose their awe over Jesus. Let me, let me help us. If you think that we're this, like our today is moving us towards something else, you'll miss it. Because all we have is the gospel. All we, is anybody grateful that that's all we got? Like we ain't got nothing else. And you know why I'm grateful? Because I don't need nothing else. Jesus does what nobody else could do. Scroll through your phone. Find somebody perfect. Guarantee you won't. But if you do get that perfect person to trade their perfection for your sin, you won't find it. But that's what we get in Jesus. And so I, I want to be I want to live in that state of awe. When I was in Montana, there was a moment where I was outside. And like I said, there, there literally was no street lights, no Wi-Fi. And I'm sitting outside. And I had a moment to look up at the stars. Now, let me just say something. New York just don't, we can't see the stars, y'all. I'm just being honest with y'all. It's too much smog. It's something, a cloud or something. It's funky. It's just, I don't know. We can't see clearly. But I literally could see the stars to where the stars felt like they were just right there. But you know what I didn't feel in that moment? I didn't feel like I was big. I felt real small. There was, there was, there was this thing in my stomach. You know, if you went to the Grand Canyon and you looked over it, nobody would feel like, oh, I can make it across. Let me just jump. Nobody. 
Nobody goes to the ocean and sees the, you know, the waves coming in and feel like, oh, this, I can pick up the ocean and move it. You all feel small and insignificant in that moment. That thing that you feel deep inside of, oh my God, this is, this is massive. That thing is actually all. And that's what we get when we stand before God. We have all over creation. Can you imagine the all over the creator? Your boy didn't feel like he could big, you know, jump up and grab the Big Dipper and move it. I didn't feel like that. I felt like, God, you are so massive. I am enamored with how big and massive you are. But you know what else? I'm not just enamored that you are massive and big, but that you actually came close. That's what really messes me up. What messes me up is not just that he's big and massive. That ain't what, me what messes me up is that this big, massive God wrapped himself in flesh and came down to dwell amongst us. What gives me awe is the fact that Jesus dwelt among sinners, goes to a cross, a, a piece of wood that he created, get nails in his hand that he created, get slapped with a hand that he created, and does it all so that you will hear there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I am, I, I am, I am amazed at the fact that Jesus died for me, but I'm also amazed that he rose for my sin. I'm amazed that he is coming back for me. And you know what really messes me up? That I get to spend eternity with him. You, if you've professed faith in Jesus, a sinner, unworthy, deserving of death and the wrath of God, get to spend eternity with God. And I ain't trying to scare you, but the only way that, that you get to bypass the very wrath of God is if it was settled for you. It was already settled in Jesus Christ. Y'all remember Libby Parsons on, 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 uh, on, on Double Jeopardy? Y'all remember that movie? Double Jeopardy, the, 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 the movie, basically the thesis is that her husband fakes his death. Then he moves away with the mistress, which happened to be her best friend. That's the word. It happened to be her best friend. But watch what she does. She sits in jail. She calls her son. And then the mistress picks up. And then the mistress says, Dad, and the, 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 she is the boy in the background go, Daddy? And she immediately knows that he's actually not dead. She goes down to Mardi Gras. Y'all, I'm just preaching the movie now. She goes down to Mardi Gras and she says to him, I can shoot you in the middle of Mardi Gras and not have any penalty. You know why? Because the penalty, I've already served it. It's already, it's already done. And so if, and this is true, if I, if I am convicted of what I was already convicted for, then the judge is unjust. But God is just because when he looks at you, he goes, oh, it was settled in Jesus. Well done. Come on in. This is the gospel. And if that don't do something to you, I, I don't I just don't know. I don't know what else will. And that's the only thing. That's the only place that we will bank all of our chips is the all that we feel, the enamorment we feel. I said it again, that being enamored with Jesus and Jesus alone. Text says here that. They had awe. It came over the church. Can y'all give me a few more minutes? I'm over time here. All came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders are being done through the apostles. Now watch, their all moves to generosity. Verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions, that's generosity, and belonging and, and, and distributing the proceeds to all who had need. And day by day, attending the temple and breaking bread in their homes, they received the food with glad and, here's the word, generous hearts. So the awe that they felt moved towards sacrifice because they were in awe of the person who was sacrificial.
That then moved them to be generous. They looked around, they literally said, oh, you homeless? Sell that stuff and let's put them in a house. That's what the community did. And so this is why I said the misplaced found homes, literally. Because people were selling all that they had and being generous. And there's other texts in Acts that says that they took the, the belongings and they laid them at the apostles' feet and the apostles distributed to anybody that had need. And this is why like, I, I have no issue. I really don't. I have zero issue encouraging you and challenging you to be generous with your resources. The reason I have no issue with it is because if you're not, you're not fulfilling Acts chapter 2. They were generous. They, the Bible says that they had generous hearts. And let me just go ahead and dispel this myth real quick since I'm here. All pastors ain't after your money. Like, I know some real good, faithful pastors. If I was after, if I was after money, I would have never became a pastor. I'm just being honest with you. I'm just... I'm keeping it real with you. Ty had her you know, career going on. I had my career going on. We were fine. We were living in a four-bedroom house, two-car garage, a little, little spot in the back. I know you missed the house, babe. We, you know, we, we, we gave that stuff up, all for the sake of the gospel. I promise you, if I was after money, I would not be up in the pulpit today. And we, we you know, and yeah, sure, it happens. I'm a, I'll be honest. Like, I'm not the pastor that's going to lie to you. Sure, pastors are, are, are grimy. But you know who else is grimy? Doctors, but you don't, you go to the doctor if you're sick. Huh? I'm, I'm being honest. Investors sometimes steal money, but I'm not going to paint all investors as thieves. Gynecologists sometimes are perverts, but I'm not going to paint all of them as, as, as being perverted. Why? Because I know that that's isolated. And sometimes we look at the pulpit and we be like, all they want is money. I was talking to my son, my oldest son, about this earlier this week. Sometimes we be like, we look at the church and we be like, the, the, those who aren't a part will be like, man, they just want your money. The devil is a liar. I don't, you know what I want? More seats downstairs. You know, you know what I want to see the gospel fulfilled in the community? You know what I want to see? Dead hearts be made alive to Jesus. You know what I want to see? Blinded eyes open to the beauty of Jesus Christ. That's the goal of generosity. Goal of generosity is not to put it on my back. Listen, when I went to Montana, I had a layover. It was a cheaper flight. I had a layover. I was crammed in a, you know, in, in exit, uh, in, in, in row 18. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm tight up in there. I'm, I'm just being honest with y'all. I did not fly first class, although I wanted to. I didn't get on a private jet, although I, I really wanted to. No, 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 I, I, I waited for my layover. I, I, I got, you know, on my next flight. Why? Because honestly, I'm not after money. I want to see people meet Jesus. So the Bible says here that they distributed the proceeds to everybody that had needs. Anybody that had needs, they begin to look around. Nobody, can you imagine that? The need that you have right now, can you imagine that? That if somebody else supplied it, like somebody opening a business and they got a need, I'm talking to somebody in here that they, they got a need of a building. Can you imagine if the, if the community was like, oh, that's, if you, the gospel's gonna flourish there because you're there and because you're there, Christ will be there. Yeah, let's invest in that. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if those of you who fall on hardship and hard times, you don't come to the church to actually get the resources, you go to your small group, and the small group, and this has actually happened in Epiphany Church where we pay rent and, and help people with groceries, and it's not because the church office has done it, it's because small groups said, oh, Acts 2.42, let's be generous to each other. This is part of Koinia. This is part of Koinia. And, I, and let me just say, and I'm going to move on, and I'm going to land the plane here. They aren't reckless either, because sometimes we think about generosity like, they sold everything, 
That's it. And then they was homeless. That's not what they did. In fact, I can prove it to you that they didn't sell everything because verse 46 says they still have homes. Verse 46 says they broke bread, meaning they had food. So they had lodging and they had food and anybody that didn't, they welcomed them and they were able to make sure that they had a roof over their head. And that's that's what when we sing we are family and we talking about we are family. That's the family I want to be a part of. All right, let me, let me land the plane here. The last thing that makes us healthy is verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all people, the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved. That's evangelism. They were not satisfied with the family just being 3,000. Do you know how many of us have been like, we got 3,000 people in here, we good. They're like, oh no, that's, there's more. There's more that need to come into the kingdom and be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. So the Bible says day by day, they added to the church. Do you know, Delisha, this means that they didn't wait for Sunday morning? They, didn't, they did not wait for the altar call. Day by day means they didn't wait to bring the person to a professional speaker about the gospel. No, they shared the gospel everywhere they went. And this is why I tell y'all, man, if y'all bring your friend to, to church, the first time they hear the gospel shouldn't be through me. I should reaffirm what you've already shared with them at coffee. Because what we've done is we've, we've made evangelism synonymous with invites to church. And you can invite somebody to church and they die and go to hell. But if you share the gospel and you talk about Jesus, you never know what that will do. In fact, it's Charles Hatton Spurgeon that said, when I'm preaching and I'm preaching the gospel, I'm always thinking in my mind who in the room is being saved because it never occurred to me that the gospel wouldn't accomplish what it said it would. When you share the gospel with your friends, you could fumble your way through it and God knows how to take scraps and make a masterpiece. You never know, and even if they don't give their life to the Lord in that moment, Ty said this in our huddle this morning, one plants, one waters, but it's God that gives the increase. And what I love about that text is after it says God gives the increase, it says the one that planted and watered is nothing. Because your one job is to talk about Jesus. If you, if you are on fire for the Lord, you shouldn't be satisfied until your whole neighborhood is on fire for the Lord. So the Bible says that they were generous. Then the Bible says that they begin to share their faith with everybody. Day by day, the Lord began to add to the church. And if you read through the rest of Acts, you'll see how this thing just flourishes and grows. Because the gospel started small in that 120 in the upper room and 3,000. And then day by day, the Lord added to the church. And you get to Acts chapter four, you see Gentiles now are saved. Remember Acts 15, you see they're now getting together with Gentiles and Jews. By the time you get to the end of this book, you know how many people get saved? There's a part where the whole city of Ephesus gets saved. I'm not joking. They literally said, when they saw them coming in, they said, these are the men that turned the world upside down. That's what they said about the apostles. And it wasn't because they were so powerful. It was because God and the message that they were preaching was powerful. I'm landing the plane, but let's play something soft. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I really think that God wants to do something in this room. If you don't know Jesus, sis, what are you waiting for? That wrath has been absorbed by Jesus already. You don't, don't earn what Jesus died for. It's bought for you already. You know, when he, when, when, when he went to the cross, there was, there was a, 
double imputation that happened. The first thing that he imputed to us was his righteousness. What we imputed to him was our sin. And so what that means is Jesus stood on the cross condemned as though he lived like you. And you get to stand before God as though you live like him. This is the gospel of Christ. This is what we give our lives to. This is the common goal that we have in this room. So this is what I want to do. Let's get right into the song. I, I want to sing a couple of verses of this song as you process. And I, I want to ask the person, that young lady in this room, that young man in this room, that one that's online. I want to ask the person that doesn't know the Lord. I want you to give your life to the Lord today. Oh, saints would say tomorrow is not promised. Let's go into the song, y'all. Tomorrow is not promised. We need to give our life to the Lord today. Let's sing a little bit of this, and if you don't know Jesus, I want you to process the words as we think about Jesus.